The future of business is responsible. El futuro de los negocios es reescribir el crecimiento de las empresas. Conscious commingling of growth and impact. Le futur du business est conscient et responsable. The future of business is intentional and transparent. So welcome back to another episode of the Future of Business podcast, the podcast run by Said MBA students here at the University of Oxford. Uh, my name is Jordan Zeal and I'm back as your host for this week uh, for an episode that I'm really excited about. We are going to be discussing a topic that is perhaps too rare in, in business schools. Um, specifically, we're going to be talking about regulation. To be fair, at Said, we are often challenged to think about how markets should indeed be governed. Um, and today, I particularly wanted to explore if there was a tension between this idea of red tape and growth, if there's a trade-off between regulation and an increased economic activity, and if so, how should regulators think about this dynamic? To discuss this, I could think of no one better than Narwan Kulapkal. Uh, so we're not completing her MBA. Narwan is a senior investigations officer at the Securities and Exchange Commission in Thailand, so the, the SEC in, in Thailand. The Thai SEC is responsible for regulating the securities markets and protecting investors in Thailand. Its mission, to assure conducive, to enjoy a conducive environment for a fair, efficient, dynamic and inclusive capital market system. Uh, Nadawan specifically focuses on unfair securities trading, and as the Thai economy continues to grow, is on the front lines, making sure that this growth is both sustainable and equitable. Welcome, Nadawan. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you for having me today. No, of course. Look, excited, excited to have you. Look, I think we can um, start off by just asking, you know, what attracted you to the SEC in the, in the first place? Yeah, actually, just look back when I was in university. I'm I'm really interested in capital market because. I start investing in the capital market by buy some securities and like, like do some financial report analysis by myself because my bachelor background is like accounting and a little bit of finance. So that's the first thing that I know about the SEC. And then another reason is that like all of my family work for the government. That one of the power that drive me to work with SEC. Oh, great. And I guess now that you've started business school here here at Oxford, is there anything that has changed the way that you've thought about the work you, you're doing there? Yeah, I would say it changed a lot because mm -hmm. I worked for the SEC for five years. And my view is like the regulator perspective only. So when I like explore about the company, it's going to be like the regulator's view about the law and regulations. But when I first came here in Oxford, I think it's like widen my perspective. So I know more about like, okay, how the people think about the business, how they want to start the business and what about all of the stakeholders that affects their company. So regulators is one of the stakeholders that we have to deal with. So I think it's really great that I like gain lots of perspective from other people. So I can like, when I come back to the SEC, I can enhance my career, also like enhance about the law and regulation to like maintain the, the financial system. Perfect. And kind of in thinking about the types of regulation that you're going to be going back into, is there something that excites you the most about your work at SEC? Uh, yeah, I would say it's quite excited. Hmm. Maybe it's quite a unique job. I mean, like there is no school that going to teach you how you regulate people. So we have to adapt what we learn from bachelor degrees or master degree in order to regulate people who, who work in like the financial system, who have the effects or impact from the financial system. Mm, 
Correct. And I guess coming to business school is, is an interesting path, right? You mentioned your family were all, all bureaucrats as well, working in, in the government. And now we're kind of sitting in, in a business school. We're less than 100 metres away from the, the Margaret Thatcher Business um, Education Centre, yeah. where regulation is perhaps not um, championed as much as, as we would like. Um, is there a tension there? Is there a tension between kind of business growth and business success and regulation? How do you see the role of regulators like the SEC um, in kind of having that type of growth? I would say, okay, just looking back, like if I'm on an ordinary people mm -hmm. in the market, I would say like, okay, we have to grow the business because that going to impact the economy, not only in the, um, our country, but also in the worldwide. But if we think a lot more, everyone, all of the stakeholders in, in the market going to say, I want to grow the market. I want to expand my business. I want to get some profit from the market. But who is the, the one who protect that people? So in order to balance between these two things, I would say regulators have to pay more attention about investor protection. Because we are the one who set the guideline, the standards in order to protect that people. And also, like, it's not only our responsibility, I think. I would say it's our duty to maintain the sustainable financial system. Because when the uh, financial system be more sustainable, it means that the economy will be grow in the future for sure. So you kind of mentioned two things there, right? There's protecting protecting people, yeah. and then there's also maintaining a sustainable yes. financial kind of services sector. Let's let's start with the people. Who who are these people that you're looking to looking to protect, and what are they exactly needing protection from? Oh, that's an interesting question. I would say people mean like individuals, maybe like people who want to invest into our capital market. We need to protect them. It's not, okay, I would say like, we're not going to put our shoes, like um, going to be in, in their shoes in order to order them, like because we, we are not their parents to order, like you should invest in this, you should not invest in that. But we're going to be the people who like help that people in order to know more about the capital market. So our real responsibility is that we need to provide the full disclosure to let them know what about that company, what this company do, and how they do. Because just imagine like the simple things. If someone like get your money and then they just told you that, oh, I will use your money in order to invest in like manufacturing things and you're going to get a profit. But if we don't have the regulators, so and that people take your money away and they did not start anything, so you're going to lose. So that's why we, we have to have the regulator in order to protect the investors because the regulators have a role to like, let that company to provide the information to the investors. Okay, so, so to kind of like re kind of just to repeat what you're kind of saying there is that the the issue is that sometimes um, investors come in unknown or that like the power imbalance between the investor and the company that they're investing in might be skewed and the regulators are there to help ensure more transparency yeah. um, so there's more confidence in understanding how that money exactly yeah. will be used. But doesn't that kind of necessarily put more burden on these companies? It kind of slows down the process. Like I was reading how in, in Thailand, 
there's three or four times more people uh, play the lottery than invest in capital markets. Obviously, the barriers to entry for the lottery is lower than the capital markets, but the result is more people are kind of you know, arguably wasting their money in that way. So h- how do you balance that, encouraging people to get into financial markets while also ensuring that they're protected? Okay, that is a great, great question. I think like many people are going to like have this question in their mind too. So I think, as, as, as I mentioned earlier, that like lots of stakeholders want to grow the market. So I think, yeah, it's, it's our duty to like, balance the law and regulation. So right now, we, we try to revise the lots of rules and regulation in order to catch up with the innovation because right now, lots of technology is coming, lots of innovation is coming to our market. So it's not like we not want, we don't want to just like um, stop people to grow, but we just want them to grow sustainable with mm-hmm. the sustainable thing. Okay. And I think we'll be start to talk about some of those innovations in, in a moment, but just, just focusing on that sustainable growth, which is in that second part that you, yeah. you mentioned earlier. Can can you kind of explain that a little bit more, right? I think, and, and why I'm kind of asking these questions again, like sitting here in, in the in the business school where, you know, red tape is something that's often, like, I think, you know, from a personal perspective, unfairly um, criticised. You know, what about this red tape and this regulation kind of creates a sustainable market, which means more and better growth in, in the future? Uh, I would say, like, when the red tape is coming, mm. people are going to against it, for sure. But... You just think of like, if there is unfair security trading in the market, for example, there is insider trading, market manipulation or fraud. It means that we need to enforce the law in order to maintain the confidence in the financial systems. So at first, I, I understand that why people think it's a red tape because, you know, like as, I, as we talk that I, I have been an investor before when I was in university. And I, and that at that time, I would say like, why this is, the regulation, why we have to do that, why we have to do this. I have that will too. But when I work in the SEC, it made me understand because sometimes, you know, when I interrogate some witness in the case about like unfair security trading, and I just ask them like, why do you invest in this this fund? Or why do you invest in this security? What they say to me is like, my friend just told me. That's all. So... I, I would say the root cause of this problem is like about the financial literacy. So I think we have to collaborate with all of the stakeholders in order to solve this this problem. It's not only our responsibility, but it's also the individuals who invest in the capital market, the governments, and other agencies that related to the capital market. Some of that red tape um, has even affected you, right? Because if you're investing yeah. in university, once you started working at SEC, I'm assuming you were no longer able to hold <laughs> some of those investments, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I think. Look, I think that's starting to be to become to become clear. But I think it's an interesting example that you gave, right? That the, the people that you're interrogating as to why they invested in this in this security, their friend told them. What what's what's wrong with that, right? I my my concern is you're you're starting to like. Um, that there's not enough respect for these individual investors that they can't make these decisions themselves so the regulators coming in and stopping them from making certain types of investments what why is 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 it a lack of trust or, or what is it that is not enabling 
us to make it easier to invest in these types of securities um, and enable them to like learn uh, people to learn kind of that way. I would say like we always support investors to learn mm-hmm. about the capital market and also give them the access to the capital market. But what we need is that we want them to have sufficient knowledge before start investing. But we we don't want to create the burden for them. But right now is like, okay, the world can con- connect seamlessly. So it's easier for people to get access. What we can do is that we provide investor alert. We provide a website called smart to invest So people can learn more about that. But right now, what for in my perspective, I would say, uh, especially in, in Thailand, we need more education about the financial literacy. Maybe it should be start in high school, I would say. It would be better for them because when they just finish the high school and come to the college, they have some people can earn earn some money from like when they do like part time job or something. So if they have the financial literacy at that time already, they have sufficient knowledge so they can start invest smart. Which obviously helps the economy as a whole, right? Like yeah. more engagement with the financial sector makes it deeper and yeah, more liquid, sure. and, and that is helping. So maybe talk a little bit more about Thailand. Where 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 are the capital markets at? At the moment, where are the the areas that there could be in some improvement, and, and where are some uh, recent developments? Uh, I would say, like in the past few years, the capital market developed like developed a lot, because maybe is an effect of a bit of COVID nineteen. I would say, because like many people stayed home, and then it's easier for them to like open the account and start trading, not just only the security, but also the the digital assets. So right now it's like. A bit of like growing every year from time to time, but as we mentioned that, like when we look at the statistics, more people still invest in the lottery more than like the size of the market capitalization in the capital market. So I would say like it's about like the emerging market right now, but in the future, in the few year, I think it's gonna be like a significant growth. What's what's driving that growth? Like you, you sound optimistic, but what are some of the key fundamentals that is that are, that are allowing for that to happen? And how is the SEC supporting that growth? Yeah, I would say um, that growth is come from like the listed company and also like SME and startup business because we we also um, develop the ecosystem like conducive for fundraising to help the startup and SME to grow in our market because. There are also like the important stakeholder who gonna drive the market in the future. That's why like one key drive that um, the market grow a lot. How how would you engage with those listed companies? Uh, for like you mean SME and like startups, right? Yeah, you know, how how does the SEC kind of work with some of these listed companies that are listing and are trying to attract investors? Yeah, okay. I would say like the role of the SEC divided into two parts. Like the the first part is like the prevention part, and another part is gonna be detection. For the prevention part, okay, we have the filing, and we attract them by like fundraising. We help them to fundraising. We support the liquidity. For example, we we issue the regulation to help the business who facing the problem, like the financial instrument for. Um, read or like the buyback condition, so that's the key that we can like attract them into our business. But in other aspect about the detection, we also detect like 
um, the company like the the unfair security trading in the market in order to like cut off the people who do something wrong in our market because if a wrongdoer can like commit a financial crime, we're gonna prohibit them to be the director or executive in the market too. Interesting, and. When kind of like maybe expanding this conversation a little bit more globally, um, what are some other models that you're seeing around the world or other kind of regulators regulators that you're learning from, um, in in a good way and a bad way, right? I think we're all kind of following the Adani case in in India at the moment. What what kind of lessons are you learning, um, from from global actors here? Yeah, I would say, in the global perspective, when we're looking something broader, um, uh, the the case is not going to be just only in our country because right now you can transfer your money to anywhere around the world. So one of the good things is that we can connect to other governments in order to transfer and exchange the information through the M- MOU, which is stand for um, the Memorandum of Understanding because we're not going to change our law in order to like, be in the same way in like, every country around the world. So in order to like cut off that burdens, we have the MOU with several countries. So we can get the information in order to track about the good things and bad things around the world. But the downside is that the people who want to do something wrong can transfer everything seamlessly. And like it's 24-7, you know. And right now we have the, the GDPR things. So that could be like a bit of a burden. I would not say it's like a bad thing because it's protect the right of the people. For those uh, listeners at home, um, what is GDPR? And, and... It's general data protection. Okay, and that's in, from the UK. It was like an initial. Yeah, but in Thailand, we're going to call them the PDPA. But okay. it's the same thing. Okay. okay. Yeah, but that one is going to like take a time for us to get the information in some way. Because like in some country, they have their own law that they ha- when I send the let- official letter to that country mm-hmm. in order to get the information, because we suspected that some people might transfer the money from insider trading to that country, they have to review to uh, that investor that we need the information in order to do something. But that one is take time because if that people don't want to review it's going to go into the court and it's take a long time. So it created a time lag between mm-hmm. like we, when we investigate and when we get the information. If that case is like become the real insider trading when, when we did the in-depth investigation, it means that the, that time lag also affects the economy because if they use that information a lot, and just imagine that it's take a year. And you use the inside information every month. But when we investigate something in depth, we cannot reveal to yeah. our investor that we're still investigating that because you, you can't be the innocent people, you know. Mm-hmm. So in the process that we investigate, we did not tell anyone. It's yeah. the confidential thing. I guess by after a year, the damage is almost already done as well. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned as people are looking to money laundering to other countries, right? I presume the types of countries that people are looking to exploit loopholes in are countries that yeah. are easily um, or encourage exploitation. How do you engage, and you know, from even a geopolitical perspective, right? How are some of those relationships? I presume if someone's 
hiding the money in Switzerland, right? It's different if they were hiding it in the United States, for example. How do those types of relationships develop between regulators? I would say, like, okay, if if it's the money laundering, it's Mm -hmm. not in the scope that SEC is going to take the legal action. Mm -hmm. But we have the collaboration with others, like, company, I mean, other authority. For example, like, SEC Thailand, we also work with um, the Department of Special Investigation. We also work with um, the Economic Crime Division Suppression. Within Thailand? Yeah, in mm-hmm. Thailand. But that organization also have the MOU with other country. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like a huge collaboration between the country in order to like take legal actions against that people. Yeah, I like this kind of global nature of internal regulation is, I imagine, a challenge that's continuing to emerge, right? You, you mentioned earlier about the fact that um, individuals or companies can be transferring money 24 hours, 24-7 yeah. now like as, exactly. as the world becomes more digital. Like what are some of the other challenges that, that the SEC is, is seeing on the horizon and, and preparing for? I would say one of the challenges about data, because right now, like, okay, it's in the past, it's maybe like you're going to do the insider trading or market manipulation just one day, two days. But right now you you can do like, a month, maybe. How, how do you mean? I mean, like, for example, you, in in the past, mm. the behavior, tr- like the trading behavior of the the people who did the market manipulation is gonna be just what you think. It's gonna be, okay, you're gonna buy the shares when is the price low, and then you're gonna drive it up, and then you're gonna sell. But now today, it's more complicated. It's sometimes. You don't have to get profit from that market manipulation, but you just like avoid the loss, you know. Sometimes you use the insider information to avoid the loss from the company. And is that a detection challenge on your side or a prevention challenge? I would say is is a detection challenge, but for the prevention challenge is that um, we get some backlash from the people. Actually, in Thailand, we, we have done the cryptocurrency public hearing about the requirement before you can invest in the cryptocurrency. For example, like we have the, um, the financial requirement, like you have to have the annual income like 100 million baht. But we get lots of backlash on that. I, I admit that. And yeah, we, we just done the public hearing, like what people think and what people want. You know, well, I think it's like just you know, cryptocurrencies and kind of the blockchain in general, right? It is the manifestation of this twenty four seven the transaction. And as our life becomes more online, like I, you know, historically, geography was a really useful barrier to to just capitalism going crazy. Whereas now that everything is on this digital platform, yeah, it enables more transactions, which I, I appreciate makes it harder. But again, interesting, right? That it's a financial cap that. The Thailand's put in is that just the assumption that people who have enough money have got enough education, or is it this that they have got enough capital to lose? Like, what? Why the why the hundred million baht as the as the cap or as the the minimum? Yeah, actually, like we did that because um, you know because if if we didn't have um, the minimum requirement, it's gonna be like the kids kind of start investing in, in the cryptocurrency. But actually, we didn't say that right now because, mm. like, we did the public hearing and then we get a lot of backlash. So we, we have to reconsider about that again. Yeah, so interesting, right? I 
something like like crypto, I guess social media has been a big role there. I, I think we, we'd spoken in the past about people just feeling like they're missing out, right? Because you're seeing your friend online making loads of money from from crypto, for example. So you want to get involved without maybe the the necessary education. How and it, it does, does come back to our earlier conversation about how you do ensure that people can participate and have the freedom to engage and you know create wealth for themselves and for the country, but also the protection. How do you think about how do you think about that 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 breakdown? I think it probably gets back to that kind of punishment versus or um, detection versus prevention, right? Because you mentioned prevention is really useful, right? You, by the time it gets to detection and and punishment, the damage is almost already done. Um, yeah, maybe just talk a little bit more about about how you think about that that challenge. Yeah, I would say in terms of prevention, as I mentioned earlier, that like we want to people to know more about the capital market to have sufficient knowledge before they start investing in anything. Mm -hmm. So I I might be pessimistic person, I would say. I don't wanna let so them classic to classic regulator. Yeah, I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna let them to like be strict like you should invest in this, you should not invest in that. We we don't wanna be like fussy person who order everything. But we wanna be the person who have the responsibility to force that company to make a full disclosure. Because when they made a full disclosure, it means that everyone in the market have the same information. And when everyone had the same information, it means that they can make um, like a full decision on that one. Do, do you think that is, you know, that idea of everyone having the same information is, to me, feels almost unrealistic, right? And yeah. even in the most sophisticated markets with full transparency, it's still going to be power and balance between what a, a company knows its growth is going to look like and, and what it might reveal. So what a, like, how do you kind of square that, that circle when the, there will always be information imbalances? Yeah, I, I would say information imbalance is like general thing. It's happening all the time. But what we can do with that is that like, we are we are like the person who ensure the full and fair information disclosure, and also we the responsibility of the regulator is that we need to enhance the corporate governance of the listed company because we have the power to to do that. And you know, uh, not not other authority can do is is the main main like responsibility. And also another thing is that we have to enforce. The case of fraud and unfair security trading. Yeah, I think. And speaking about kind of this full disclosure, an element that is starting to emerge, um, say like where I'm from in in Australia, is these idea of ESG reporting as well, yeah. and like that, that type of disclosure. How is is Thailand and more emerging economies engaging with these ESG requirements, and what's the role of the of regulators in in terms of that? Yeah, actually, like in our strategic plan, we emphasize on the ESG things. And also um, we launched the investment governance course, which is like we call iCode. Like it's um, like a guideline for the responsible and sustainable investment management for the institutional like investors. And like we have the regulation to issue about the green bonds. So we support that. And the key thing is that we want to emphasize the benefits of the ESG to that business and also about the risks that gonna happen in the future. Um, what type of risks? 
yeah, it's a risk. You know, like the ESG thing is like the risk of the company if they do not do something about the ESG that is gonna hurt them for sure. As in, like hurt. Yeah. Them as in the entire yeah planet and existing it will be harder. Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because I think the you know as we like greenwashing is obviously something that's, that's spoken about quite a lot. Is that something that the SEC will get involved in, in in trying to make sure that when companies are reporting on environmental milestones or environmental focus, uh, environmental focus of these companies, how how can you make sure that they are actually impacting in a in a meaningful way? And is that even the responsibility of the SEC? Uh, it's not like the, um, the rule that they have to report, but we encourage them to report. Mm-hmm. Because we, we not only like just let that company to report, but we've also created like the investor awareness. And right now in Thailand, many people concerned about the ESG things. So it's going to be the positive impact for the company too. If they report about the ESG and the people who see that, oh, okay, this company create the positive impact for our country and also for the world. So it's about the reputation of that company too. It's not only just like the report because we require. That's really interesting, I guess. Yeah, what is the role of a regulator? Like, I, I appreciate why you not might not want to force companies to yeah. report those types of standards, but highlighting the fact that that could attract maybe more investment and encourage yeah. more liquidity into these companies. It's exactly. a really interesting dynamic. And, and are you seeing that kind of play out in some of these emerging economies? That's like, I, I appreciate that where growth is probably more of a focus um, and just kind of raising general standards of living is is a more kind of key criteria at the moment, but it's exciting. Is it fair to say that those ESG things are still important? I would say like in Thailand right now, ESG thing is like, be more important than the past, like in a few years ago. Because many people right now, like, concern more about the environment. Because, okay, for for example, like, in Thailand right now, during, like, January and February, there's going to be, like, a lot of dust in the air. So people, like, concerned right now. So where did the dust come from? It came from the car pollutions, come from the manufacturing companies. And the ma- manufacturing company, in some manufacturing company, listed in the the capital market, you know. So if they report about the ESG thing, so people are going to read that and know, oh, these carbon dioxide come from that company, come from this company, or this company try to reduce the carbon dioxide to help the world. And I guess in time, right, where you know, tourism is 20% of, of GDP and ensuring yeah. those beautiful beaches remain yeah. beautiful, it, it's, it does have that economic element, yeah. right, of the, the economy will will suffer if some of those challenges yeah, exactly. aren't, aren't maintained. Um, look, we're kind of getting towards the, the end of time here, and we always finish with the same kind of type of question of what do you think um, the, the future of business will look like? So in, in 100 years, I guess from your perspective as, as a regulator, it's a, it's a slightly slightly turned around question, but um, what do you think regulators are going to be doing in, in 100 years' time? What are, kind of the, what are some of the, the concerns or exciting opportunities that you think might emerge um, in the coming decades? I would say this is really, really interesting question. I haven't thought about it before, <laughs> like in 100 years, what's it going to be? Um, I would say it could be like better worse, maybe, because right now everything like become a b- more like technological, mm-hmm. and better world is like the another world. I would say mm-hmm. the world like so right now it's not like the people who gonna trade in better worlds, but in the future it might be like the parallel world that we can trade and borderless. Without regulation, 
I would say like, um, it would be a challenge and also an opportunity for the regulators to grow because the regulation has to catch up with the innovation every year from time to time. But I, another thing I would say is that um, I'm a person who like say yes to the digital asset innovation, but not the, um, the cryptocurrency speculation. So the innovation thing is that the thing that regulators always support, we need the innovation. It's good for the business, it's good for the world, it's good for everyone, but not the speculation things. Yeah, like with any innovation, right, there comes those risks, and that's yeah, yeah. the fundamental importance of of the regulators. Yeah, the idea of like the, the metaverse, obviously, is like again f for me a a terrifying thought. Um, it's like the privatization of these types of spaces, which makes it very hard for regulators. But yeah, yeah. interesting to think about, I guess how regulators might get involved in those types of digital spaces and that type of digital yeah. kind of parallel life, or even how they can discourage the the desire to go to those types of those types of spaces, right? Yeah. I, I kind of feel like one of the reasons why you know, cryptocurrency and then the metaverse become so attractive is because people feel it's they're less shackled by regulation, right, on those spaces. So, you know, it's about how, maybe about how to show that regulation is providing a space. I think they're seeing that with with crypto with the with the recent crash, right? A lot of people get hurt because yeah. of this lack of regulation, and you know, maybe that. And I think swing. another challenge is that like. When the innovation is coming, it takes time for us to revise the law and regulation. And that lag time might be hurt some investors. So I think that that's the one is like the big challenge that we need to like be more productive and to get the, the results and revise the, the law and regulation to be to catch up with that innovation. And it's a, a challenge. It'll be it'll be continuous. So um, look, that's that's you know, like I really do appreciate you you taking the time and um, thank you again. Yeah, thank you very much. And that was Narawan Kulapka. And thank you all for joining us. If you did enjoy this conversation, please do feel free to subscribe, and we look forward to you joining us for the the next episode. Thanks again.